0: All right, roll for initiative. Welcome to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game.
1: Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're
2: not better gamers than you, we just all have different experiences to share. And
0: maybe we can help you have more fun at your role-playing game, because the only way to win a role-playing game is Is to to have 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 fun. fun. I'm Ryan, I'm the curmudgeon, and joining me as always is Carrie the Legend. And Jason the Favorite.
1: Hey, I'm also the one who uh, has bought yet another role-playing game that I haven't finished reading yet.
2: I think you are not the only one.
1: Nah, it's true. <laughs> what is this one? It's uh, One Child's Heart. I bought the Kickstarter because it's all about a basically a bunch of psychotherapists that are trying to help a child deal with a trauma.
2: I remember that one. Hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, it's uh, basically the first half of the book, which I've gotten through so far, is about uh, – how to do this in a way that's safe and doesn't trigger childhood traumas in people?
2: Uh, yeah,
1: that would be. Well, I mean, it's explicitly dealing with them. So yeah,
2: right, sure.
0: All right, well, uh, let's let's say names of people.
2: Just random say names, people. just yeah. random people.
0: Yep. So I've got a phone book here. Oh, interesting. Mm. Uh, so it's we deeply we, out of date. We have a Patreon. Even better. <laughs> you can uh, back the the show by joining us on patreon at patreon.com slash honor podcast and the money that we we collect there keeps us on the air and going uh, it helps to pay for our equipment and our hosting fees and all that stuff and we would love it if you would uh, you know if, if you like the show then we'd love it if you'd, you'd help us keep it going uh, but at certain levels you get free stuff like postcards every season and art prints and uh, books and and shout outs on the show. And so folks at the wizard level, get a
2: shout out. And
0: so let's do that.
2: All right. We've got Josh Heath with Werewolf the Podcast. Woo. Hi, Josh. <laughs> we have Joel Eastland.
1: Hi, yes, Josh. we hi, do Josh. have Joel Eastland Yeah, hi. for now.
2: Oh, my gosh. Hi, Josh. hi Joel. Hi, I, Josh. I, I need you guys hi, to pick you. it up a little bit.
1: <laughs> <sighs> we have Salim Halaby. Salim Halabi. Halabi. Keep Ryan Martin.
2: <laughs> just keep moving. Just keep moving. <laughs> we, have, we have Drew Stevens.
1: And Ryan Galliato of Byways LARP.
2: I like how you said his last... It was very like...
1: Well, it's that kind of name. Okay. It's like a... You know, it's... Boom, 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 boom. It's got like ten syllables. It is what it is. It does have like ten syllables, to be fair.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. We also have Cameron Pruitt, who's my favorite.
1: Mm. Yeah. What about Noah Coltrip? I'm glad you
0: asked. This week, Noah Coltrip is traveling to Warm Springs, Virginia to visit the Jefferson Pools. Built in 1761, the Jefferson Pools were originally a gentleman's bathhouse with a unique octagonal-shaped structure and a roof with a giant hole in it to let the steam out. Established around the year-round 98 degrees natural pools, the site was first discovered by an American Indian who, after traveling a long way around the world, stumbled upon these warm waters and instantly felt rejuvenated after taking a bath in them. The waters at the Jefferson Pools are mostly famous for healing properties, so much so that word traveled to Thomas Jefferson, who visited the bathhouse regularly for three weeks to cure his rheumatism. Several weeks later, a few years passed, and a women's bathhouse was established next door. Even though the original structure has decayed over a period of years and doesn't look as striking as they once did... uh, Noah is is still going to pay $19 to spend an hour inside America's
1: oldest spa. Interesting.
2: Noah, I'm a little worried about you.
1: I've got a lot of jokes that I think are a little too blue for this show. So we're just going to keep going. Who else do we have? Okay, I'm not going to make a blue joke.
2: (laughs) We have the
1: patron saint of the podcast, Sarah.
0: Well, if you'd like a shout-out on the show, we'd love to give you a shout-out on the show, and we would also really appreciate, uh, if you like the show, you help us keep it on the air by going to patreon.com slash Podcast, becoming a patron, Mm -hmm. and
1: uh, signing up. Mm And at the $100 level, Ryan will give you a back rub. That is not true. What? What? You give excellent back rubs, though. If
2: someone is going to give us $100 a month for this podcast, you will give them a back rub. <laughs> when last we left the our intrepid adventurers,
0: we were at this Zoom recording a podcast. And here we are again at this Zoom recording a podcast. So, Jason, what you been up to?
1: Uh, Well, let's see. I'm supposed to prepare for this every week and I always forget. I spent the week making notes for my uh, D&D game with the people I work with, and then we had to cancel the last minute because somebody has to work this weekend. Oh, no. So that's pretty par for the course. Yeah. I've also been fiddling around with mini-RPGs a lot in my spare time, and I'm really trying to to, to kind of figure out the medium in a way that I like because there's a ton of mini-RPGs out there, right? One- to five-pagers – and I think the concept's really clever, but all too often, like, it's like, here's how you play, and it gives a lot of information for the player, but it doesn't really tell the person running it what to do, and I think that's equally important.
0: I have this weird yeah. thing with mini-RPGs where, like, I I secretly believe that everybody loves to buy them because they're like a buck, and nobody yeah. ever, no one ever plays any of them.
1: Like, right, So we know that that's not true for Lasers and Feelings because we had a guest on who runs lasers and feelings a lot okay that's true uh, that's drew, true drew talked about that uh, and I think the trick is that the system has to be uh, it has to be doing something unique and interesting it can't just be um, like for its own sake like hey I, I made something for its own sake I yeah. think it has to be doing something unique. And Lasers and Feelings does that. Uh, it's built to be hacked. That That's a big part of it. Right. So what have you been doing, Carrie?
2: I have mostly just been working on my Inktober's.
1: They look really cool. Thank you. Now, there asked. was one I was looking at, and I was, I was trying to figure out. I was like, ugh. I feel so stupid and this is something I can't, I can't see it. What's wrong? Oh no. And then I realized the problem was, is that it had a bunch of heads and it was a hydra.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I was was like,
1: oh, that's a hydra. (laughs) That's why I can't see it. It's, I'm like, I'm like, is this a flower? Uh No, no, wait, that's six heads or however many it was. So I was really,
2: really proud of that one actually, because I ended up. Yeah. It's good after. Well, I actually ended up using the, the Hydra symbol with the skull on top. So if you look at the top uh, neck, uh, it's.
1: I'm saying. Oh.
2: So so if you look at the, the top neck, it, it has the eye holes and where the mouth is and stuff like just kind of hinted at it. And yeah, I was, I was proud of that.
1: But so I'm yeah. gonna skim back through your Discord so I can find it.
2: There you go. I don't know that it's on my Discord. You may want to uh, go look at my Instagram. I'll
1: do but that.
2: Uh, but yeah, but so I've been doing that every day. Uh, yesterday we had the unboxing for the October art snacks on my on my Twitch channel, and that was fun. Right? So we
1: opened How'd up they the go this time.
2: Um, I hated about half of the supplies I got. Really? Yeah. You yeah, had
0: the opposite thing Last the yeah, first month. The,
2: fir- the first box I opened and I mm. loved every single thing that came in just about. And even if I didn't right? like it, I was like, well, okay, this is, I understand. This one, like, they gave me three paint markers, which were terrible. And, like, right? it was weird because, like, you could have, like, a regular nib or you could flip the nib around and it was flat. You know, okay. Wait, wait.
1: You had to take the nib out to, and turn it around? To change it. So you get paint on your so hand. So you
2: would get paint on your hand if you wanted to actually change the nib. It made no sense. Wow,
1: no. that's crazy. Yeah. Now, my friend Sarah's got a bunch of alcohol markers, and they're double-ended.
2: Yeah, no, that's good.
1: And, uh, like the Caliart ones, which are what, like mid-range? That yeah. makes sense, but turning the nib around, that's yeah. insane. It w-
2: it was weird, and then, like, one of the... um. And it was bizarre they you know they sent because it's because it's inktober they sent me a jar of ink you know okay and yeah. but instead of India ink it was Indian ink and so like what's I don't, that I don't know as far as I can tell it's the same exact thing but it's weird like I was like is this a ripoff?
0: it's the of? same but with more n
2: I guess yeah and um yeah so like it was it was straight like and then Oh, and then the the last thing was they they sent a a, a a a ink brush like they sent me a brush that in the in the holder of the brush actually had ink in it, and so it was like a disposable green ink brush.
1: But, okay, but
2: like it didn't really work real well, so it was just like a cool idea, but it was bad. <laughs> Weird.
1: Okay, so Ooh. I looked it up. I looked it up. The difference is British English calls it Indian ink for, or Chinese ink for no reason. What about you, Ryan? What have you been doing this week?
0: Lots of work. Way out of work again? Yeah, mostly work. I had to work on Saturday this week. Um, that so, sucks. Yeah. And but, it was weird work. Yeah, I had to basically go babysit uh, an empty lot for six hours. <laughs> what? It was, so the um, the walk to end Alzheimer's uh, that the Alzheimer's Association does this year, the walk is like virtual, and sure. wherever the walk is like this year, our walk was on Saturday, and so you're supposed to use their app to walk anywhere, you know, walk with yourself, walk in your neighborhood, walk wherever. Uh, but yeah, they they do these pinwheel flowers, you know, where the wind blows and they spin, and the, there's colors based on your connection to people who have Alzheimer's, whether you're a caregiver, okay. whether you're a caregiver or you're a person who has it, or you are just a supporter or, you know, there's all these different, there's four different colors. And, uh, normally at a walk, you get the color for yourself. And then as the walk begins, you stick them into the ground, uh, in like, a, they call it the promise garden. And then as Everybody comes back from the walk. You know, the, the finish line is next to what ends up being like hundreds of these pinwheel flowers that are all it's, colorful and bright. It's and, very
2: pretty. It's, it's very it's pretty neat, cool. actually.
0: But because they, they were doing the walk virtually this year, they, have, they asked if they could set up the, a promise garden uh, on our property where people could just drive through and look at it. And our company said yes, as long as you sit there. To make sure nobody does anything,
1: you know, nobody—you're <laughs> not
0: allowed to get out of your car or anything. You just drive through and look at it, and you go, "Oh, wow, those are pretty." And so I basically just sat there, uh, babysitting uh, flowers, in, empty grass. <laughs> it's
1: nice. It's nice.
0: All right. Well, let's uh, mm. g- let's go to combat
2: mm. rounds. Mm.
0: Welcome to Combat Rounds. This is the part where we have rounds of combat.
2: I feel like I just did or combat. Else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So what's our topic this week? Hang on, I'm grooving. Uh-huh.
0: All right, I'm done. All right. So are you? this week we are going to talk about building an org.
1: What What you mean... Organization.
0: Yeah, so uh, there are lots of versions of organized play. Whether it's uh, a group of tabletop games across the country, like in uh, is it Adventures League?
1: Yeah, Adventures League. Uh, yeah, or, or Pathfinder Society. I think it's the name of the the big Pathfinder one, isn't it?
0: Yep. Or we're and we're also kind of talking about uh, uh, mostly even uh, we're talking about national organizations for LARPing,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: right? Now I'd say a lot of these things are going to apply to all of those. Even though we have the greatest experience in national or or national LARPs in orcs,
0: yeah, there is some difference with like uh, with the tabletop stuff. It's hard to have like online play in between uh, gaming sessions and things like that. I mean, I guess you could, but that seems weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, today we're gonna we're gonna build kind of loosely, just sort of go through the process and and kind of generically build. Uh, in A LARP organization, and, and hopefully it'll give folks some ideas on what to, to look at and what to think about. Uh, so to start with, I just want to let people know um, where we're coming from. Uh, so Carrie and I uh, both got our starts. Our first LARPs were with uh, One World by Night.
2: The first, first organization, yes. Yeah.
0: And Jason's first organization was, was uh, Mind's Eye Society.
1: Yeah, which was called the Cam back, Camarilla back then. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not Minds Eye Society anymore. It's something else that escapes me. Is it Midnight Dance? No, that's pretty good, though. Wasn't it Midnight? I, like I thought
0: it was Midnight Dance for like two weeks. I
1: don't know. My favorite org name has been Hidden Parlor. I love it. I think it's perfect. Right. Didn't, it didn't make it. It was too bad. Uh Jessica yeah. well, Jessica was it is okay
0: Yeah, Jessica's smart. So I was I was surprised when it didn't uh well, it didn't, it was really... too much I think there was just too many LARP borgs on the market. Yeah. So absolutely. But uh um you know when when mm-hmm. Carrie and I left Warmworld by night, we left be, with uh, there was like kind of a mass exodus of werewolf games that left, where a bunch of werewolf games left for uh a a list of reasons, but they were they were all agreed oh. upon by like the oh. ten games that left and uh those 10 games went and formed the guru nation which is a larp org of just mm-hmm. werewolf games and Carrie and i were very involved with creating uh that org uh, we were not the sole creators i don't no. want to give that yeah, but no, no, there no. was it was a group of probably 8 or 9 people kind of that that formed the core of of building that group um, and uh then after that we left we left that group cuz cuz some things started to change that were we're not Uh, to our agreement. And then we joined underground theater, which is, was a vamp. Originally it was a vampire org. Now there's also werewolf in it as well.
2: I'd like to point out that this makes us sound like we're just hopping from org to org. This This isn't like for like over 20 years of game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say you were like, you were very active in uh, underground theater for five years straight and active in it the last couple of years, even beyond mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And you're, I was into Gro- the Nation for at least three years, I, I think maybe four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and y'all were in it before that. Right. And uh, y'all were in uh, uh, one more by night. What? At least five or six years, probably longer, maybe mm. 10.
0: No, it was like four
1: or five, four or five. Car- Carrie, maybe a little longer than Yeah, me. For me, long, it was four or five.
0: Longer than that. But. So, but uh, you know, in that time, you know, I know Carrie had, was was head storyteller. She was on, uh, you know, voting councils. She was uh, what they called tribal moderator, and she was a tribal narrator, which is sort of a, a segment of like a national storyteller kind of position. Uh, I held those positions as well. I also was like wrote all of the bylaws and admin policies for the Guru Nation. And uh, uh, with Underground Theater, I was on the board of directors and was the communication director. Jason, you were. Uh, national storyteller for uh, underground theater for, for many years. And you were also, I, I think, weren't you at some point you were a tribal narrator in the green nation, weren't you? Like the Fianna one. No, for no like-
1: I, um, that was, that was a thing that could have happened and we dropped out around the same time okay. that it was possible, which was fine. Cause yeah. I was ready to go too. So anyway, the, the point of all this is we have seen the goods and the bads. <laughs>
0: over many years. And so the very first thing that that we're going to kind of cover then is why would you know why an org you know what are the pros and cons of being in uh any know, org being in an org. Yeah.
2: Um
0: so I mean I think the the pros some of them are pretty obvious. Obviously uh travel. You yeah. know, the ability to take your character to another game wherever you're going. So if you're on vacation in California, maybe there's a game there.
2: There is something right fantastical about being able to walk into a room that you know you know no one and go but i'm bob the vampire and everyone goes i know who bob the vampire is we've chatted right. before suddenly we're best friends like it, it, it's just it's almost like instant friendship yeah right. <laughs> like, and, and it's 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 actually really neat
0: and it makes the universe larger hmm You know, there's something really cool about playing in a game and knowing that there are other players out there doing things in the same universe.
2: That can be affecting you. Right. Right, absolutely.
1: To me, it makes the whole thing feel more real. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, one of the reasons that I stayed in uh, the the old cam, as long as I did, was because when you went to a game, knowing that there's 100 other games across the country that all fall into the same universe, it makes it feel like this, this is more like a real thing that's really happening. Yeah. There's some immersion
0: there's, that that's done yeah. with that. Yeah. it also it opens up event games, right? It's hard to mm-hmm. hold a special game for the five people who's playing in your tabletop game where it's hard to hold a special game for like the 20 people that attend your LARP every week. But like when you can have an event game at like Gen Con, that's got like 200 people from all of the, the games in your org and stuff. Like there's something really cool about those giant games. Absolutely,
1: um, And, and you can- mesh a whole bunch of different play styles and personality types that otherwise would not be in the same room.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, the friendships that come from all of those things. Um, And and the last pro, uh, this is kind of a weird thing, but like it can be a positive thing, is being part of an org provides some oversight. LARPs are typically run by multiple storytellers, right? You know, each individual LARP game has multiple storytellers. And just being very honest, they are not always good people or not always good storytellers and sometimes problems can result. And, and it's nice to have some oversight where if you have a problem locally, uh, and your storytelling staff is not helping to fix it or not able to help you have people that you can go to and, and oversight also comes with, it comes with guidance, but it also comes with, um, with resources. Yes, absolutely.
1: It can be a good thing. So what about the cons? So Uh, I think the biggest con for like the local game when you transition is that you have to adjust your play style so that it in some way aligns with the play style of the larger group.
0: So you're kind of agreeing agreeing to having to – you're having to agree to be part of a whole. Right. And that limits sometimes the things you can do. Like if you're in Chattanooga and, and if your game is in Chattanooga and your players decide they're going to go blow up Chicago and there's a game in Chicago, they can't, you're agreeing by being part of this org that they can't do that. Right. Uh, You've
1: got boundaries. Yes. And that's good and bad, but Mm -hmm. a lot of times it means like, man, I wanted to run something in say Nashville. There's no game there, but it doesn't matter. You've agreed not to run things outside your own boundaries.
2: I remember back in um, One World by Night in TGM, we used to re- refer to that as your sandbox.
0: You had to right. stay in your sandbox. You have to
2: stay in your sandbox. And if you go into someone else's sandbox, you have to go by their rules.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another, another con is uh, you're agreeing to allow visitors. And I know that sounds strange because one of the pros is that you can go other places. But the con is that other <laughs> places can, come, can to come to you. And that means sometimes that they bring their shit with them.
1: <laughs> it means. I mean, ca- we've we've seen it where people are like, "Hey, we've got this thing that we want, like we want to kill another player." They're not even character, necessarily in your character, game character. They want to all come. Well, maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they want to kill another character or something like that, and they want to do it in another game because they're afraid that their home game won't run it very well. Right. Because there may be some oh. drama. Or, so they want to do it in your game or <laughs> they you may up because up the thing, you'll
0: be or they may be bringing an item card that is like crazy like somebody could roll in into the game and they're like our characters have this M- this giant tank.
2: Yeah, quick, made this out army of tank, silver. Right? And you're like, what? No, I would,
0: I would never let my players have an army tank. But you know, you're agreeing to let them come to your game. So, you know, it's it's great that you get to go places, but then those places get to come to you, and it's not always great. Uh I think also, it also
1: rolls into the next one. You're giving them power and influence locally that you may not want them to have, that you may not be comfortable with. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, how many games have had? I mean, how many vampire games have had visitors come in and blow up their Elysium?
1: <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's happened to us at least once and that was some game it happened to like three times. It was crazy. Yeah.
2: I was so mad. As <laughs> a storyteller. Like, I actually remember pulling that character aside and go, the, player. the the player aside and just being like, this is a dick move. And he's like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That guy never
1: played again. That was why that was it was his last game ever. Yeah. That's that was, why it was
2: a yeah. really dick move.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If he had stuck around and got and let his character, you know, take the comeuppance, mm-hmm. it might it was still a dick move, but it wouldn't have been quite so bad. But the fact was it was really just a Hail Mary.
1: Yep. And yeah.
0: and it was like I'm gonna quit and screw another game when I go. Yep. And that was right.
1: yeah. Uh that does remind me, that's one of my regrets. We tried to solve that with an in character solution of let's just throw a bunch of NPCs at him and he gets killed and everybody's happy. We should have just said no. Yeah. But that we'll get into that later.
0: Yeah. Uh, another con is out of character politics, Ugh. right? Like two storytellers don't like one another. From, you know, a storyteller in Chicago doesn't like a storyteller in Boston. And, you know, that can create drama between the
1: games that has yeah. nothing to do with, with in character stuff. Uh, and I, do you get some mommy daddying along with that where somebody's like, hey, I can do this, right? And you're like, I, I think so. Yeah, sure. Why not? But you don't know the reason why their storyteller turned it down was some completely out of game reason, and, s- and sometimes, based on- sometimes those policies aren't between
0: storytellers either. Sometimes they're between the storyteller and the people in charge of the organization. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, and then, and then the last con da, 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 here it is again: oversight. Right. Sometimes somebody is going to come down from up on high to tell you that you need to do something with your game or not do something with your game because uh, you're making that it's that agreement to adjust your game to fit with the whole. Um, And and that's in and out of character. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's somebody from the board of directors coming down and saying, hey, it is not okay for you to, you know, do that to do this thing. You know, or it is not okay for you to run this plot, or it is not okay for you to talk to your players this way, or things, anything like yeah. that. Um, right. So, uh, but then, you can be
1: in the right, or you can be in the wrong, but it's still something you have to be aware of. Yeah. And then
0: the the biggest con, uh, the biggest con is actually not so much a con, but it's really a, a challenge. It's a hurdle, and this is one Jason I know feels very strongly about, and that's just the general failings of volunteerism. And so this is the idea that. Uh, these orgs don't pay, right? You know, you are, nobody is being, uh, there is not a, the president of One World by Night is not bringing home a savvy paycheck every week (laughs) for being the president. It is volunteer work. The the president, the XO of TGN is not getting paid. The president of UT is not getting paid. It -hmm. is thankless, hard, time-consuming work. And when you're a volunteer, there are failings in that.
1: Right. And, and, you know, there's lots of groups out there in the real world that are not game related, that are very large volunteer organizations, and they still struggle with this same problem. You will almost always have people that are doing the real work and that are getting burned out because they're not getting enough help. Mm -hmm. And then there's plenty of people who offer to help that have none of the qualifications or life skills that they need to do the job. And that's the piece that I want to really touch on is the life skills. (laughs) <laughs> you well i mean part of it is just not knowing how to deal with people but part of it is also like hey i want to help you run these plots well that sounds great uh have you ever done it before no okay well then the first thing i have to do is teach you how to do that so that's going to take me more time i don't even think and then if it takes me a year to get you up to speed and then you only help me for three or four more months after that i've wasted my time i don't even think it's about stories
0: i don't think it's about plots. I-, I think it's about everything i think it's about leadership skills because i think at the end of the day uh, so when i look back on the 20 years of org org administration i've been parts of right not even storytelling but just went on the boards and the councils and the all of those when i look back the biggest the biggest hurdle in every single one of them has been some guy who works at walgreens uh, making $10 an hour who has no power or confidence or understanding of how the real world works because he lives in his mom's basement and like all of the, like all of the bad negative stereotypes of gamers. Right. Uh, cause I mean, they're stereotypes cause they're out there. Right. And there's always one of these guys who the is not successful in his real life, has no real, real life skills, but, but darn it. He's the, He's the vice president of the org. <laughs> and it's like the only place in his whole life where he has power or, or respect. And they always have no idea what to do with it and create nothing but problems. And when I look back at my history and all of these orgs, every single time there was ever a, an org-shaking problem... It could always be tracked back to to an administrator who didn't possess any real-life skills to handle being in charge of a giant org. And when I look back on the most successful people who held positions, they were people who, like, their day job, they wore a suit to work. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay, I,
2: I don't think that you have to go that far. They had a job. Right. They had responsibilities outside of games.
0: They were they were supervisors at their work. They were uh they were administrators of of act of real social clubs, like they were they were, you know, president of their local rotary club, or they were you know, they they were they they were on boards of nonprofits.
2: Yeah, you know, or or just they had something else besides the gaming org.
1: Yeah. I think Carrie's got a really good point. It's I have met several people that were like rich kids or guys who had really high-powered jobs that made them feel very self-important, and they took that out on the LARP. I agree with you that having uh, some sort of job that's taught you leadership skills is a big help. But any, there's lots, lots of ways to learn these life skills of leadership, and but they all uh, require experience. you just got to have them if you're going to be in a leadership position.
0: Yeah. And and the problem is that a lot of these positions in these orgs, because it's volunteer-based, they don't attract
1: people with those skills and experiences. Well, they, they are busy. Because, yeah, they're busy. They usually already are running something. Or, <laughs> and this is a, a weird thing, you meet people who have a, an in-game position and they're really good at it. And you're like, crap, I wish this guy didn't have a really good in-game leadership position because I'd rather them – help me run things well, right
2: that's why usually they like if you you look at especially like world of darkness let's just take for a second you know if you're a prince in the vampire game a lot of times you're storytelling the werewolf game
1: right well <laughs> <Or> it's <laughs> it's because you have the leadership skills yeah yeah. And
2: that happens all th- – I mean, or you're storytelling a different game because that uh, that happened with Ryan and I in Werewolf. I remember that. He was alpha of the game I was running and I was alpha of the game he was running. And we're like, <laughs> we're not trying. Like, this isn't
0: – Neither of us wanted to be the alpha. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Um, all right. So – so that's the that's the the ups and downs and the pros and cons of being in an org. So let's let's talk about like when you're building an org. The very first thing I think that you need to do is decide what is your purpose, right? What is the point of this org? Because a lot of orgs, you know, especially orgs that fail, and and in this case, I'm not talking about Hidden Parlor. I'm talking about some other orgs that I've I've seen over the years start and go. But um, and I only bring up Hidden Parlor there because we were just talking about the fact that they they didn't make it, and I don't want people to draw the wrong conclusion because they, they just
1: didn't have enough people. They just they had nothing to it do with numbers. The, yeah.
0: But, no. uh, but I think that you've got to have a purpose like, and the purpose cannot be that you're a, you're, they call them spite orgs. I've heard that used where it's like, yeah, I got thrown out of this other org. Everybody there sucks. So I started my own. Like that happens right? all the time. Like you, have, yeah. you see spike, spike games all the time, yeah. especially in right? world of darkness. So, Sorry. It's okay. It was crazy. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, so, what's your purpose? You need to have a mission statement or a vision that that really defines your goal or your direction or intent, mm-hmm. the feel that you're looking for, or, or or your just your your purpose.
1: Well, give us an example of one. Did you
0: didn't you write the Underground Theater one? I did. Well, I you I a- I didn't write the first draft of the Underground right. Theater one, but I did write the second draft. But this was and and honestly, when I say wrote, I really just put into words what. The board, the the board decided. But anyway, so okay. just here's an example. Underground Theater is a five hundred one c seven nonprofit LARPing organization connecting World of Darkness troops in a worldwide network of games. Our focus is on building a community of friendly, like minded gamers within fun, welcoming, and safe games using a minimalist approach to administration, a uniform set of rules, and a player focused storytelling mentality. That's a okay. It's a mouthful, but. First of all, business mission values always are, always are, but it tells you everything you need to know about what they're trying to do. Right. Right. And more than that, uh, down the road, it is something that the, the administrators of the organization can look back on when they're trying to make decisions and go and, and, you know, use it to guide where they're going.
2: Yeah. I remember when we wrote the TGN one. Mm Mm-hmm. It was we were very specific because we, while we all left the one org because we didn't like what was going on, we didn't want TGN to be a spite org,
0: even though it kind of was.
2: Right. It the I mean, jerk I mean, the knee jerk reaction was yes, it is. But then when we all sat down at the table, we were like, no, we actually just want a werewolf org where we can all be happy and have fun, right? And so we made sure that our statement. And any other statements that went along with it—no bashing the other org, no, no negative, no—you know, like it was very. You got whatever you put into your your um, your statement is going to be the feel of your org.
1: Absolutely.
2: So you got to be careful with that.
0: Yeah, I, I say this a lot about gaming companies. You know, if you don't like the way your players are behaving, are uh, in and around your game, it's because you have not set the right examples or set the right tones. Looking at you, world of darkness, white wolf. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, hey, you know, it's true, though. Like, if if your fan base is a mess, it's because your fan leadership is a mess. Like, you are not setting the right examples that you need to be set. And I believe the same is true. Like, if you have really crappy administrators of your org, then your org's going to have players that are problematic, just like those administrators.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, let's dive into admin. So that's like the first decision you have to make if you're starting an org, right? Yeah, pretty much is is uh, with your administration. You can't decide
0: how your administration works until you decide. Uh, are we nonprofit or are we for profit? And, well, you know,
1: when we talked about this off screen, we said, let's make an org and that would be the best way to teach this, right? Yep. So, so we were going to make one based off of your IP.
0: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna just pretend we're making an org for a bunch of uh, gun belt LARPs.
1: Pretend. Okay. We're pretending. Pretend. Yeah.
0: So there's actually kind of four four things that you have to figure out here. Are you a club or are you a business? Right. Okay. What's so, the difference? Okay, so a club is one world by night is a club. Okay. Right. They don't typically they don't have uh they don't have membership dues. Mm-hmm. They don't really handle a whole lot of money. They don't uh, have to file taxes because they're not an actual business. They are uh, – they, uh, they get some certain legal protections and, and they have some flexibility because they are not an official business. They're just a club. It's like a social group of games that have decided to all play together. Okay. TGN, the Gru Nation, is also
2: mm-hmm. a club,
0: right? And then there's, the right? bi- then there's businesses. Mm-hmm. Businesses mean you are filing paper with the government. Right. Okay. You're an LLC. So some examples of, of businesses are are we can talk about uh, Minds Eye Society um, or Underground Theater or Dystopia Rising is a great one too. So Underground Theater, for example, is a nonprofit business, and then Dystopia Rising is a for-profit Rocket. business. Okay. And basically, okay. basically the difference there is a for-profit business is run like kind of how we think of a legitimate, regular, normal business is run where the idea is for the people who run it to make profit, right? right. <laughs> to make money. Uh, and a non-profit is like underground theater where like everybody's a volunteer, nobody's getting paid. Uh, they try not to bring in a whole lot more money than what they put out to, to host event games and things like that. Uh, and it's just basically they collect membership dues so that they can hold event games and, and that money kind of makes its way back to the membership in a roundabout in way. In
2: theory, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So, um, the what are some of the legal issues you have to think about if you're doing a business versus a club, like nonprofit versus profit business versus club? What, what, do you, where would I look to find that information, and what's some basics I need to think about?
0: Well, it first, the first thing is that that you need to think about is uh, if you're doing it as a business, whether it's a nonprofit or a for profit. Uh, you're going to have because to have those are some, both businesses. Yes, you're, it requires a level of government paperwork that needs things like somebody named as the owner. But anyway, the creators of Dystopia Rising would be the owners of the for-profit LARP org. Right. Um, but by being a business, you have you are required by law to have an owner listed. You're required by law to have bylaws, uh, and those bylaws have certain things that they're required to have in those bylaws to qualify as a, as a business, whether it's profit or nonprofit, it doesn't matter. Um, And so, and you know, and there are procedures and voting procedures that have to be used to alter those bylaws and those bylaws have to be registered with the government, blah, 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 blah. You have to do taxes, all of those. So why would you do that
1: versus a club?
0: Well, it makes it so that you can, the big reason why you would want to do it is so that you could collect membership fees. I mean, that's so a club cannot. A club can, but, I mean, if you were to do something with that money that people didn't like, you're not really legally protected because you're not a limited liability company.
1: Okay. So it gives you uh, some protection. Mm-hmm.
0: People uh, can – if you run a club you... – And it makes it
1: easier to collect some sort of
0: fee. Yeah. So you know how over the years, everyone at MES, like they always hear, yeah, but we don't want to get sued, right? That's an excuse, a safety excuse you hear in clubs like that all the time. And the reality is it's a true fear. Because if someone were to sue MES, whoever's present right? is kind of left holding the bag. Yeah,
1: right. Whereas with they uh, can be held liable. Yeah. Whereas
0: if you're an LLC like Underground Theater or Dystopia Rising or any of those, if somebody sues you, there is personal protection. They're suing. You can sue the org, not the people.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: So, but on the flip side, there's some there's a dynamicism, a dynamicism like you are able to do. You have a lot more freedom with what you can do as a club. You can just make decisions, well, I change directions. And- the issue
1: we constantly had at Underground Theater was I'd be like, hey, can we do this? And y'all would say, well, we're only allowed to keep this much money. Right. <laughs> and so we just can't have enough money to do that thing. It, it's <laughs> because of the, the way the business works, which I don't know enough about. Yeah, And that's another, and that's another thing
0: is if you're going to be a business, you need to have people who know how to do that and it and you costs you have to deal with lawyers mm-hmm. yeah you'll and spend 5 or 600 dollars setting up an llc
2: right right cuz don't you actually have to pay for it as well yes. as paying for a lawyer
0: and a business license and, and all those yeah. things
2: yeah so there's so, a cost a setup cost
1: so we're starting org for your game Gun mhm what is that going to look like would you do a profit non-profit a club how what would what's your ideal
2: could you go from a club to a business yeah
0: you can always you can you can always do that
2: all right then i'm gonna suggest we start the gun belt as a club because we're poor well
0: the the big that's fair the big question about the business part was is really in my mind is it profit or
1: non-profit right
0: you know that's the the biggest dilemma
1: because if you decide non-profit then maybe club's the right way to go since you're not making money anyway
2: yeah but non-profit you get a lot of you get like help
1: You get discounts to rent sites, You get discounts to rent sites. So maybe what you're – maybe it's worth the upfront fee to be a nonprofit so that we get discounts in the future. Especially
0: if you're collecting a membership fee. Yeah. Let's just call it nonprofit for now. All right. All right. So we're going to create a nonprofit. Um, So the next thing we have to decide is what's the power structure, right? Is it – Okay. So in TGN, there's an XO and there's an XO who is kind of more of a figurehead – and then there is a executive a officer, storytelling council, right? Right. Uh, in minds in Minds Eye Society, uh, there are there are officers like a board of director that have some limited power. But then there is also uh, every chronicle, every game has has a voting person. Uh, I think that
1: – they have a uh, coordinators that. A report up a chain of command, and that's on the storytelling side and the management side.
0: And one world by night works kind of similar to that. Uh, underground theater, nobody votes except for the board of directors. So there is a president who kind of just steers the board of directors. The board of directors is actually the nonprofit board. So there are there's a communications director. There's a uh, this actually has all just changed. So I'm wrong about this, but when I was on the board, there was a communication. So we can just say there's a board of directors. That's like and a, they a secretary, a secretary, a treasurer, a, a vice president, a president. Just like yeah, and they vote on everything. Uh, there was one exception to that. There was a player vote for whether or not the game resets every five years, but um, there can be exceptions. That's more of a bylaw issue. It's kind yeah. of a bylaw thing, yeah. Uh, so and so, what is the what is that power structure? You know, is is there a leadership council? Is there a board of directors? Is it one single person? Um, you know.
1: Are they elected? Are they appointed?
0: Who yeah, and who does the electing? How long do they serve? Uh how do you get rid of them if they suck?
1: Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then and once you I have I think that- that's a very important question because one of the things that when I was in MES back in the old days that we dealt with is that we only had one way to change the leadership structure for the most part, which was votes of no confidence. Right. And so once people figured out, oh, wait, the only real power I have is a vote of no confidence, they started using it
0: a lot. All the time. For every si- every single time somebody did something you didn't like, even if it had nothing to do with their position.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well uh- – it, it become a problem because, like, because you know, one of the things we're going to talk about is term limits. Right. Somebody's like, "I'm bored of you being the storyteller," or "I'm bored of you being the coordinator." Right. You've not done a bad job. I just want somebody else to do it. Yeah, it go was a, it was a sticking point with underground theater is that
0: we had a board of directors and had never there was no rules for how to remove someone from the board of directors, and so when conflict existed and someone needed to well, go, we just naively believed. Yeah. When, you know, if, if something happened and someone needed to go, there was no way to, to address that, you know? So. Right. Personally. So in this case, if we are doing a nonprofit, then it should have, it's got to have a board of directors. Okay. Um, Personally, uh, one of the things I didn't like about the board of directors in underground theater was that the president was, did not have enough power. Um, I think the president, right. the president should have some basic operational decision making power. Um, I don't think okay. every, I don't think every single thing needs to be decided by committee. Yeah. Um, and if you have a, if you have clear ways to replace the president if they are making poor decisions, then that's okay. You have yeah. you have those checks and balances,
1: right? I think that if you're going to have a system like that. You probably should look look at having terms where the person who's president is somehow by default, hey, it's been three years. Uh, Let's decide if you're going to keep that position or if somebody else is going to get it, because that means you have an exit that's graceful as opposed to causing drama. Right. Yeah, I'm okay now, with that. Now, if you're going to be the president because it's your game and you want to run it the way you want to, that's a totally different issue. <laughs> right.
2: But, I mean, but that's also a valid issue.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: You know, like, you because know, because every one of these ways of running an org has pros and cons.
1: Right. And so
2: you've got and to something else. what works. You've got to pick what works best for you mm-hmm. and your game and the genre that you are running for.
1: Right. So do um, we have to have a, a way to remove the person, With usually, except in the case of the gun belt and I'm running this or want one run. So everything else needs to be replaceable in some way, and you have to have a good way of bringing new people in. Is that fair? Yeah. Yep.
0: And then you have to decide how empowered or independent is this leadership group? Is it a, is it a, dict, is it a dictatorial Like, is it a dictatorship? Like, is the president kind of, is does the president have have lots of power? Uh, Is it more like a constitutional monarchy where, like, the president's like a king and has has a lot of a lot of power, but ultimately also uh, there's a parliament, a board that makes, you know, that votes and makes a lot of decisions as well. Is it a democracy? Uh, Like, so. You know, a dictatorial would be kind of more like how Dystopia Rising used to be, where it was kind of run by because since it was a for-profit business, it was kind of just run top, top down. From the top down. If it's a constitutional monarchy, that's a little bit more like a uh, little bit more like how um, how underground theater kind Wouldn't of works. Fair,
1: underground theater was that way basically. Mm-hmm.
0: And then there's democracy, which is like uh, like um, like One World by Night or or MES. There, it's a little more democratic. Everything is voted on.
1: Yeah. Uh, personal- TGN. It's very democratic.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. My personal opinion is I feel like a, a constitutional monarchy works the best as long as the president has a bit more power to act into like in a, in a regular nonprofit, like a Habitat for Humanity kind of scenario, a United Way kind of scenario. The president has certain operational duties that they have power over and the board, you know, he reports those things to the board and the board will, uh. You know, will make adjustments or whatever as it like you're trusting the president to run the sh- to drive the ship mm-hmm. a little bit.
1: So like the CEO of a company a makes bit. all the decision and the board kind of back checks their power. Yes.
2: So okay. my only concern with that is that I've seen board of directors that shouldn't be there (laughs) you know like how they're not just removing the president but there has to be a way like i would like to see it a little bit between democracy and that where like maybe the games can vote on who's the board on who's on the board
1: i think that's fair i think there needs to be a way to my, my concern with systems like that is all organizations regardless of what it is attract drama and politics And you want to reduce the amount of -of out-of-character politics in a gaming org to as little as possible. However, one of the things that keeps people interested is knowing that if they aren't happy, that it can be changed. Yes. So you're right. I think there has to be a happy medium there. What are the problems? I'm sorry?
0: One of the problems we had with underground theater was that uh, players didn't like the fact that when a board position opened up, the board just simply appointed someone to fill that role. Mm-hmm. players and local storytellers and stuff. They didn't like that on the flip side in other, other things like in one world by night, you would end up with these voting blocks of games who would get together and combine all their votes to get their friends elected. And their friends were douchebags with no experience.
1: Right.
0: Yep. And and so how or, do you, how do you do both of those things? How do you protect the sanctity else, of the position while giving the people a, a voice?
1: I think that's really tricky and like does I think the, carries in the right path of electing some of those people, maybe have a certain amount appointed, a certain amount elected. Does the board uh, some, does the board get to
0: vet the people who run for the positions? So the board well, approves the candidates and then everybody gets to vote.
1: That means ultimately the board is in control of who's the candidates.
2: Yeah. No, which
1: means that who they want is you're gonna be within a couple of people of who you want i think it's complicated uh i don't have a good answer for this except jury duty like you're drafted sorry you're in charge of the org this week (laughs) I'm, i'm thinking back to one of the things that
0: uh that our our friend from australia had said about his the way his org was structured his board of directors had had like it was like seven people and like Some of them were appointed by him as owner of the company, and some of them were elected by the players.
1: Right. I think that's fair. Uh, In your case, you would want to retain control of your org since it's your IP. So you would probably have uh, a president, that's you, or somebody that you've chosen, and you would have probably a uh, – You'd some have have, like chief financial officer you, or something like that. That's also chosen by you. Anybody that's directly involved in day to day business, you would pick. Sure. But then you would take people that were like, say, um, I, I, I don't know the names of enough of these positions. Like if you had an ombudsman or a, a
0: secretary uh, or a, even secretary, a maybe even your vice marketers.
1: presidents right. are all appointed or elected within the game. You're still going to have politics, but maybe it's mitigated by the fact that you're not giving up all the control to the elect you know to your games yeah, so but you're, you're also uh giving them a voice in how the system is run. So
0: if you have a board made up of 5 people cuz it's always got to be an odd number, right? Basically you have 5 people, two voted in and three that are, you know, two voted in, two appointed by the president. I guess is what I I'm
1: trying I think to. that would work or by the other board members if you're not going to be the president forever. Something like that. Yeah. So what is it what about middle management? Because you've got have to have if you've got more than say a, a dozen games or so, you're gonna have to start breaking that down right Yeah
0: and so in, in a lot of these orgs like uh, a lot of these orgs sometimes like in mes they are geographical, right You have like like regional coordinators right. and things like that. Uh, and then mm-hmm. in some orgs like uh, like one World by night,' it's, it's topical, like genre based. You know, because they run multiple wow. genres. Yeah, so like, so they've got like a a person in charge of all the werewolf stuff. They have a person in charge of the vampire stuff, like that.
1: And then underneath, oh, that's they, true in M.E.S. too, if it hasn't changed.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. And stuff. So, so, topic genre doesn't apply necessarily to us, but uh, um, I don't think it's necessarily. I've never thought, like, even when Underground Theater was at its largest, I never felt like, boy, I sure do wish I had a regional coordinator out there in Washington. Like, it never came up where I felt that way.
1: Well, I would say that there were times as a person who was running a lot of the story that it felt like that I could have used that. But that is all.
0: But, but that's that's a story. That's story, though.
1: But I'll also say a constant complaint that we got was all of our board members up until year three or four were within driving distance of each other. And the remote games felt like that they were remote and they didn't have a voice that spoke to the board for them directly. I think there's value in that. Yeah. So it's something to think about. Feeling like you have a voice is nearly as important as having a voice. Sure. Because then you, you're at least heard even if people aren't addressing your concerns directly. Right. Right and then and then how
0: much power do these folks have and now we're kind of into this whole like sure. lo- local power and independence question you know how much power does this local storyteller have like right. in underground theater the local storyteller kind of has ultimate power uh if they choose to have it they have ultimate power of their local local game but they don't necessarily you know the board can't like swoop in and tell them how to run their game short of like enforcing you know existing rules behavioral problems cheating stuff like right. that um, you know, things for, the, that right. for the most part though, the local person, the local storyteller is, is, is the person in charge. Um, I kind of, one of the things that I always liked about, uh, about dystopia rising was that, and, and I'll be fair, I've never played in dystopia rising. I just know I've got lots of friends who did, and I, I've, you know, looked through the books quite a bit and, and, st- and researched them some and stuff, but. Uh, one of the things that I liked about Dystopia Rising was I thought it was cool that they gave each game like a, an out-of-game territory. Like, the, like you could – there could only be one Dystopia Rising game in every state. Right? right. And now I don't know that I necessarily need to limit it like that. I thought it was but, like
2: within two hours of each other. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah.
0: remember. But the, the interesting thing about it though was then it enabled you to really customize your game. Because you right. were not the local person was able to make their game very, very customized and true to however they saw it, and and I always thought that was cool. Like for the gumbel, I think it would be really cool if you could really customize uh, your town and, um, you know what was going on there and and the wildlife and the fauna and stuff like that. Like that would be really cool.
1: Mm-hmm. So what you would want to do is give your local staff whatever they look like as much power as possible, as long as it's not things that are causing issues in other games. Yes.
2: You want them to have their own sandbox. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. And, and to be it, fair, that's the sort of org that you've always been in for the most part. Even One World, for the most part, you have your own local sandbox, correct? Yes.
0: Yeah. Now, like with TGN, I always felt like TGN spent too much time looking behind itself and not enough time looking forward. Um, one of the problems with, with the Nation was that uh, they spent a lot of time arguing about what that game did last week. You know, like, instead of, like, looking forward and going, how can we help games not run stuff that's bad? They were always doing – right. they were always batting cleanup. They were always trying to – there was always some mess at some game somewhere that, you know, and
2: – I think TGN was always slightly just on edge and defensive because of where we came from. Yeah. Like, you know, sure. I, we were always just waiting for one of the other staffs to attack us. Right. And so we were always on. Well, I mean, you know. That was the
0: world we came from.
2: That's the world we came from. And so even though we had all sat down at the table and went, we're going to be friends, there was still that, like, are are you going to betray me? Are you going to betray me? You know, and it's ridiculous. It's a game. Yeah. But, you know, that's the feeling. But there's drama. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And what about player representation, right? So is there an ombudsman? Are there player reps? Are there, you know, um, you know, I think
1: when we're talking about electing people to the board, that's not a terrible choice. Sure. I do think we, we need to think about also, though, that uh, we know that abusers and people who take advantage of systems, they love positions like ombudsman. Right.
0: and so ombudsman, you need to
1: be thinking about how to deal with that. And you've also got to be go careful
0: because there's there's lots of flaws in the – like with Underground Theater was the first org that I can – that I recall – or that I was a part of. Maybe some of the orgs I'm not in anymore have since developed positions like Ombudsman. Uh, but the um, Underground Theater was the first org I'd ever been a part of where there was a position whose sole job it was was to uh, to take player complaints, investigate them, and, and, and try to mediate or resolve them. Um, and, and I thought that was awesome. And it was poorly executed.
2: So what I would do is I would not have a single Ombudsman. What I would do is I'd say, if you are on the board, you are also an ombudsman. Part of your job is a player can come to any one of you and bring a topic up. And guess what? A player who is scared for their life, afraid they're, you know, saying they're abused, those things are more important than getting the notes for the meeting. This is more sure, important than, than these other things. You always have to put your players first, even if you're on a board and you're not all those things. What are the- and, and so, like, don't put it on one, per- one person. Put it on the entire board. You can go to any person on this board because if there are five people on the board, a player that's having problems, in theory, should be able to find one of them they are comfortable enough to talk to.
0: My okay. my concern with that is just that someone who is on the board and has a skill set for one of those positions may not necessarily have a skill set for investigating and problem solving uh, conflict.
2: Okay. Well, my my solution then is they're not on the board because that's part of the job. I would make it be part of the job.
0: Well, this is a flaw with volunteerism. Well. <laughs> finding qualified people is hard. I
1: I always you liked- know in the MES they have an entire coordinator chain that works. Similar to how the storyteller structure works in uh, underground theater, that all of them should be doing that job as well. But if you're a coordinator, part of your job is to deal with out of character problems. Yeah, I don't know. I I almost—it's not explicitly an ombudsman, though.
0: I almost feel like ombudsman should really just be a team of people that's not the board.
2: Well, then that's a. Those are player reps from each game. Something like that. Yeah,
1: maybe that's not a terrible idea either. Each one, each game picks their own player rep or ombudsman or whatever you call it. And then those people function as like a separate board whose job it is to resolve these things.
2: A committee. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's
0: talk about the decision-making structure then.
1: So we're talking
0: about the, this board of directors, right? Are they, um, do they just make decisions or do they have to vote on everything? Right. And who votes? Does the board vote? Do STs vote? Do players vote? Does some combination of all those things vote? Um, What, what happens? Personally, for me, I feel like in this route, um, like I have seen the first two orgs we were part of were crippled by players and storytellers forming voting blocks and friendship clicks to specific – I mean part of the whole reason TGN was formed was because there was a group of people who had cheated their way into controlling what was going on in One World by Night to the point where all the werewolf games had been screwed so bad that they left, right? Okay. And so I have seen that corrupted enough times that I shy away from it. Um, I personally, because you know what? Players and storytellers are always going to vote for their friends or their personal best interests or their characters' best interests.
1: Well, you can't think of it either as a person who is cheating because it's not necessarily that. It could be, but it's also, we have a personal bias. If you really like, say, Ventrue, because this is a vampire game, and somebody says, we need to change the rules in the Ventrue because of this problem that we're having, well, I love playing adventure. I'm almost certainly gonna think that they're wrong. Right. Because I like the way it is now. I don't want to change it. But when a vote it's something that makes me feel more powerful. But when a I'm vote not about cheating, a, I just think I'm right.
0: And when a vote about a werewolf thing comes up, you don't give a crap, and so you don't even really care about how that comes out. So there's interest and disinterest right. too.
1: Because it's not Right. The idea, I might not even vote.
0: You know, if board members are if board members are some of the board members are elected then i feel like you are electing the people to vote they're almost like it's almost electoral (laughs) (laughs) college-ish
2: it's more like you're
0: electing your senator but you're electing your representatives yeah Yeah. and so i i feel like that's okay um because you can replace them yeah
2: yeah um how well how let's talk real quick then about terms
1: I think three years is probably a good number. It's because that's how long it took me to get completely burned out. And I know that most of our presidents in UT served, three years. I'd say, an average of three years. The ones who made it more than, holy shit, I've made a terrible mistake. It takes you a year (laughs) to figure out what to do.
0: And then you spend your second year doing it ferociously. And then your third year, you spend
1: slowly running out of steam.
2: I think we go two years then.
1: Well, uh, the, well, I think you need to have that third year because that – you've actually figured out how to do the job properly I, by the and end. I, You're presenting lame duck. If a person's going to – well, they can be reelected. We're not saying they can't yeah, be reelected. That's
2: what I was trying to say is that they can be re- – you know, then, then say you want to go for another two years.
1: Two years isn't terrible. I, 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 don't, I, just, I don't hate it. I'm, I'm just trying I, to say I just that. think
2: three years is a very long time for someone to stumble around if they're not doing a good job. Three years will kill. That's a game. also
1: fair. Okay, that's true. That's you true. know,
2: three years can you say kill say in org. UT
1: we're running a five year arc. Most people think of that as the arc of everything in the org. How you know it? Three years is more than half of that. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Right. So they, they serve three years
0: or two years. I mean, they serve two years. I like it. All right. Uh, so we talked a little bit about voting blocks and then this the cross genre voting where you'd care or you you care about. Interest voting, I guess, where you care about one thing and not about the other. And so by leaving it to, with the board to vote, that kind of eliminates that. Um, and then uh, um, let's talk about longevity because this matters with these board-level positions as well. Uh, and I just mean like the longevity of the org, right? Because as the as it goes on longer, you've got to maintain that org's original vision and intent. And that's why that purpose statement is so important. Um we really encountered this when you look at, uh, one world by night, mind's eye society and, uh, and TGN and underground theater, like they all experienced or are experiencing growing pains because of their longevity. Their time is not kind to orgs. No. Um, you know, TGN was, I kind of feel like TGN was tore apart by, uh, By new games coming in, right? Because the, the org was designed to sustain the eight games. It was built to satisfy the needs of the eight games that had left one world by night. And when those eight games started to, you know, those games, some of those games ended and went away and new games joined in. And suddenly there were more new games than there were founding games and there was no vision statement. And so the whole org started shifting and you ended up with old, old folks in the org, uh, being like but that 's not why we started this thing, and it created and nobody
1: wants to yeah,
0: <laughs> nobody wants that no, and so um, uh, you know it, it it created problems like you know with other games with other games, the problem with longevity is the size of paperwork like how, <laughs> one of the biggest complaints about One World by Night and mind 's eye Society is just how many laws, rules, and regulations they have out of character that aren 't the rule book.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: You know, they've they've created rules that, for everything.
1: Right. That's house rules. And I think that's a, a real issue. It's administrative
0: um, policies, too, though.
1: Yeah. But that's I think the administrative policies ultimately become the real problem because you've made a, a judgment call based on a specific situation. And you don't even know if it's an edge case because you've only been doing this for four or five years. And then ten years down the road, you realize this rule has caused us unknown problems, but I can't change it. Right, and that's one of the other things that that I've got here with longevity is
0: precedent is your enemy. Like yeah. one of, one of the things I loved about underground theater is it was right in the patron handbook. There is no such thing as precedent. Every we will address every single problem as as it happens individually and ignore what we did for that same thing prior. We'll, we'll, we may take it into consideration, but like the idea was board members can come and go, you know, if the whole board has changed, they need to not be beholden to some precedent that was set seven years ago. Right. And Precedent's yeah. your Precedent can be a problem.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's useful to know the decisions you've made in the past because you want to have continuity of expectation, but right. you shouldn't be beholden to it. Yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, And then, and records, just record keeping becomes a problem. Right. Uh, You know, and, and a lot of this too, longevity's problem comes from communication and transparency. Um, I think you can actually maintain an org's vision and intent if you're clearly communicating with your player base and storytellers, what the board is thinking and doing. Uh, And that's something every single org fails at. I was the communications director for Underground Theater and I didn't do it well enough. You know,
1: I, well, I think it comes back to the problems with volunteerism, uh, in a perfect world, a version of the, uh, notes of every meeting that the board has would be published. Yes. Yeah. Just like you are a real corporation. Right. Or, you know, like a for-profit, but somebody has got to do all that work. Yeah. (laughs) And that's a lot of work. And, and also players need to
0: check, frankly, players need to check their, their, uh, um their need for full transparency amongst orgs. Because it's not possible. Play the player base cannot know the ins and out of every single discussion and conversation and decision that boards of directors make. And the reason for that is because players lie. (laughs) Players uh bullshit to get their way. Players form clicks Uh, And convince them the board is out to get me and then that click becomes again you know and it create makes things where like the board uh, is afraid to discipline someone because if they discipline someone at that game that whole game will quit the org Uh, you know and things like these power bases develop and if there was full transparency it actually weakens the ability for the board to govern
1: they're saying because occasionally conversations need to be had that are behind closed doors. Yes, and
0: on top of that there's also frankly just sometimes you know if somebody's been accused of of sexual assault there there's transparency you can't have especially if you're a if you're a registered LLC as a business. There are legal I will
1: say that we need to find a better way of handling it because we all the orgs have, have a terrible history with Broken Stairs yeah. because of that lack of transparency. Well, let's move into I don't into know that. how you do it with protecting everybody involved and then also say, hey, this guy or, or girl has been accused of this thing. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about that because so, – so the next section of, of our discussion is
1: rules. Sure.
0: So let's – And we don't
1: mean like game rules.
0: No. We will in a minute, but right now we don't. Okay. Right now, we okay. mean like organizational rules, right? Mm-hmm. So the org's got to have a code of conduct. Okay. Yes. Uh, and a part of a code of conduct is also a disciplinary policy. And part of a disciplinary policy is also like uh, a process, the processes involved. So that would be like the processes of of how it's investigated, how the outcomes determined, how the punishments decided. The and and all of that involves discussions about the legalities, like if you're a club versus a business, and also discussions about transparency. You know, how do people get to know when others are in trouble?
1: I think this is a place where you should, if you have the money, look at hiring some sort of professional. Yep. I mean, the the policies in underground theater, there was nothing wrong with them.
0: That code of conduct but, actually went through a lawyer.
1: And that's what I'm saying, though. That's a thing that we need to talk about. I mean, you probably need to go ahead and hire a lawyer at this point if you're going to business, try to survive yeah. more than a few years. Yeah,
0: you know, I like uh, I like code of conducts that are more vague. <laughs> um, like I know, and, and there's but there's pros and cons. I know, but I like more vague ones because I like the I like the idea of just trusting my board to go. You know what? That's not okay. What you're doing. Um, it's hard to write a code of conduct. That encompasses every single problem you'll ever possibly encounter, and and code of conduct also has to include, um, you know, it's got to address sexual misconduct, like you you mentioned, Jason. Wait, you know, wait, yeah, uh, broken stairs, sexual assault, um, social clicks, You know, because one of the so this sounds like a weird thing to connect, but one of the problems with addressing uh, sexual misconduct is that it's just the way it is, but. No one can believe that the friend that they LARP with could have possibly committed that sexual assault they're accused of.
1: And we've talked to Matthew Webb about this stuff before too. It's very difficult to identify a person like that before you know for sure that it's happened because they're really, really good at covering their checks. Abusers have been abusing people longer than most of us realize and on top of that they're probably better at getting away with it than we are at dealing with them so it's not that their clique doesn't want to know it's more that this person is so good at lying to them they'll they have no reference they have no reason to believe that he's not or and i say he a lot because we all know that's most likely but women too it's uh if you're these people are very charismatic they attract a lot of friends they do terrible things,
0: and then they use those. Their friendships. friends don't believe it because
1: they're very charismatic, right. And then they use those
0: friendships to leverage getting away with it. Carrie, you had right. You so- were, I, I just, I,
2: I don't think. I, I think a lot of people choose to not see it. I don't think that's true. Yeah, you, you know, like I'm. I'm sorry. I just, I get, I get really angry. You know, oh, my friend could never. You know, your friend gives other makes girls feel weird. You know that. Sometimes you, you yeah. watch those girls edge away from that person and you don't say anything, you know, you know the broken uh, stare. Isn't always just the broken stare.
0: Yes, that's true. That's true. There are also a lot of legalities involved with this too. I mean, like, uh, this is something Tim Clancy and I had a long conversation about, uh, off air once with, you know, uh, it is, it is incredibly, Unfair is not the right word. It is, but it is incredibly difficult to be on a board of directors and have a player come to you and say, this person sexually assaulted me. Please investigate it so you can throw him out. And then the board of directors is like, uh, you know, we work at Walgreens. <laughs> we are not trained or Please. equipped to investigate sexual assault. Please, Please go to the police. Right. And they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to go to the police. Or I, I, you know, any of the the there are legitimate reasons to not go to the police. You know, sexual assault is a very complicated thing, and you can Google sexual assault. Why don't people report it to the police? It's kind of an unfair position to put a, a gaming board of directors in. Uh, but I mean, I, even that seems like a shitty thing to say because it's also unfair to get get you know be a victim of sexual assault,
1: especially when it's at a function that your organization created which is enabling these people right so like well i'm not going to say that you're guilty of doing anything you are obligated because you have you've brought these people into a club that you control yeah. and if you're so you have some you have some level of responsibility and you but, know like you said you don't have any
0: training right and if you're and you can't afford training because guess what there's no money in larp yeah and and then there's, and that brings about legal ramifications because guess what? Uh, if you are a business uh, and one of your players who has paid a membership fee comes to you and says that someone you know, sexually assaulted them at a convention or game that you ran, then you as a business are, first of all, possibly liable, but also you have legal ramifications. Like you may have to report that to the local authorities even though the player didn't want to.
1: Oh, so there may be a legal requirement as a member of board of directors to in, report a crime that's been committed in some States. Yes. Okay. That yeah. I didn't know that one.
0: It's yeah. We.
1: I, I will say this is obviously this is very important. and something you need to think very hard about while you're making your board of directors or whatever your organization leadership looks like.
0: Lawyer, I up. do
1: think it's, a, I, I do know that some orgs have declared that if it doesn't happen on one of our sites at an event that we're hosting, it doesn't count. I think that it, it's a very so socially bad way to say you're <laughs> so, right,
0: but, and this is the dilemma. So we're, we're about, to, we're getting into the weeds here, but socially, like socially, that's horrific, right? Right. Uh, from a business and legal standpoint, that's them trying to cover their butts, like, and protect and pretend the whole, it's like, it's, there are all of the answers are as broken as the situation's is is really the thing is All right.
2: no gaming organization is worth that you burn it to the ground you know like <laughs> no just
1: no, no i agree yeah like you have I, to figure out a way to make this work
2: yeah you you know even if we don't figure it out today like you figure out a way to protect your players
0: and the thing is nobody has yet not a single org has figured it out yet
2: well that maybe that's our next uh show <laughs> Just focus on that, you know, let's get a lawyer. Well, hey, or you know,
1: for real, if you are a lawyer or somebody it's in the field, we would love <laughs> to hear from you.
2: If you are smarter than us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which won't be hard. hard. Yeah. Cause
0: I'll tell you <laughs> as a, so as a, as a board member of a national organization, that was a nonprofit business. We had, you know, we dealt with sexual assault allegations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And even
1: on the, we were only really super active for like four years, five, and y'all still dealt with a a decent amount of them.
0: One of them was serious enough that like we had to involve a lawyer and it was, it was being handled by local police and going to a court and stuff. But uh, it was also um, for, for us as a board, it was incredibly frustrating because, like, there are all these expectations on the org to do and behave a certain way concerning these allegations that nobody was trained properly to understand or do. Uh, and, and there was no sense of, uh, you know, there was no sense of understanding either that, like, we're just volunteers. We, like, sexual assault is way above our pay grade. You know, yeah. handling handling an allegation of of rape is way outside of our expertise, and it is actually dangerous for us. Uh, and you know, we could endanger the victim further or hurt that victim further if we were to misstep in some way. Like, okay,
2: so how uh, about this?
0: It's hard. I guess is what I'm
2: saying. Okay. And I agree. I, I'm not
0: saying feel worse for the board than I, you do for the victim. No, no, I okay, want to be but, clear. like
2: Okay. Back to, back to the gun belt. Pity me. Yeah. yeah no. no. Back to the gun belt. What if before this organization even is started, what if when you lawyer up, mm-hmm. have the lawyer help you write a, this is what we do when any kind of sexual assault is brought to us. Right you know, involving our players or at a game or, or whatever. Yeah. And every board member as part of becoming a board member has to sign the paper saying, I've read this and I understand this is how we deal with this.
0: Something that Tim Clancy, uh, uh, bringing him back up again, cause we had a conversation Tim. about this. Tim and I had a really fascinating conversation about this. And one yeah. of the things that we said was, wouldn't it be fantastic if we could get all the, 5 or 6 of these major LARP organizations to all commit to like you know 3 or 400 dollars put it all into a pool so you had like a couple grand that you could hire a a trainer and a lawyer mm-hmm. to do a Zoom call like at hire actual real professionals to zo- do a Zoom call with a group of pe- leadership from all of the orgs all at once like because no none of these orgs can individually afford to do this training themselves Right. Um,
1: that's not a terrible but, idea. Most yeah. of them take up some sort of money. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how much UT had, but I'm sure that we could have forked over $300. Yeah. Maybe the trick is somebody needs to start a business. And, and while it's not, you know, they're not looking to make a lot of money, like a side business. And that's what they do. They hire themselves out to these large LARP organizations explicitly to be a, 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 an instructor and investigator. Yeah, I mean, the perfect solution is you have all this training and then you hire somebody to do all your investigations. So that way they're not part of your chain of command and they can't be corrupted.
2: Right. Well, that's kind of what I meant by that, pe- like a piece of paper at the beginning. It's not quite as good as having an actual person talking to you, but maybe, you know, have them write out a step by step. You know, this is how you deal with this situation. Right. Um. You know, it's well, better than what a procedure. Yeah, it's better than what any org has right now. Yeah, you know, and to start anyway. But
0: that's a whole. I like, think it's a good s- idea. Series of episodes, all on its own.
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think, next week. Yeah, but could you imagine trying to get all of the orgs to send a representation a represent? Right.
1: <laughs> all right. So you the- know what? For something like this, right now, I think it might be possible. Right yeah. now, yeah. The we timing
0: know. is the timing is certainly closer to it being possible mm-hmm. than ever before.
2: Well, I think right. LARPs are in such a frantic state that anything that will make a LARP better, they will do.
0: And they've been a
1: cesspool of sexual abusers for so long, oh, unfortunately. Gosh, yeah. So, all well, right. I, and I, I know we harp on LARPs for this, but really, everything I've read says if you've got an organization where people meet socially, you have this problem. Yeah. You may not know it. You may not be acknowledging it, but it's happening.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, so the, the other piece to rules is character rules, right? Sure. So this would include uh, house rules, right? So let's talk about house rules. Are there universal house rules or are there just local house rules? Um, well, I think
1: for your sort of organization, you're going to want something universal, right?
0: Uh, well, yeah. I mean one of the things I liked about an Underground Theater is no matter where you went to, it was nice that you could walk in and know that your powers were going to work the same way in every game,
1: right? So, uh, so one thing that I think Dystopia Rising that it was very clever is they had one set of rules, right? Because it's a top-down for-profit, right? But each local game had the opportunity to have like a unique monster or rule or system that worked differently than right. the rest of the game. And I'm and I think okay that's with very that. clever.
0: Yeah, I, that's one of the things that I liked is that local empowerment. Uh, but you've got to be careful to. to you can't give too much, like one of the like I remember in TGN there was there was uh, no universal house rules because there the argument was, I'm all in favor of universal house rules as long as they're mine, as long as they're yeah. the ones I wrote, right and and uh, uh, so that's the problem with ruling by committee. right. And so what happened is the you know, there were no universal house rules. there was only uh, only local game house rules. and so there is one local game where they had literally rewritten the entire book. And so if you went to that game, nothing you had worked the way that it worked anywhere else in the whole org.
1: And oh, so, I remember going to that game because I went with y'all one time, and, and, and I lost half of my XP. It's hard. Because the way the game worked was you, was completely different.
0: Yeah, and it's it's hard. You know, if that's how they had fun at their game, good for them. But as an org, it's not how you play well with others. Um, no. And so so I for the belt, I think we have... Uh, a set of universal universal house rules, which will hopefully be not much because the book will be so perfect. Um, That's right. And then
1: folks can have limited house rules. Um, yeah, to be fair, you need to leave some flaws in it so you can publish a second edition in two years. Right on. Right on. And make the same money all over again. You also need rare and unusual creature law rules. Oh, yes. Thankfully,
0: the gun belt doesn't have rare and unusual creatures. There is not like a census.
2: Well, they're all... Rare right, and unusual, that you would play. I think,
1: and I'm going to say, this is my, having run a bunch of World of Darkness at a national level now, is my biggest complaint about the World of Darkness. There's a million things that you're allowed to do, or that they have rules for, that you're not allowed to do, because they're too rare. Mm-hmm. Right. Any game system that does that is a mistake. And then there's a bunch of, LARP.
0: then there's a bunch of types of characters that, uh, that they do have rules that, and they say, yes, you can play these, but Everyone wants to play them. And when everyone plays it, it's not a rare type of creature anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Better
1: just not to have that stuff. And th- to me, thankfully it,
0: the gum belt doesn't. Yeah. So, uh, so then there's character yes. rules, right? So, so you have to worry about how do you keep characters across the org balanced, right? And We're so, assuming
1: that there's some amount of competitive play.
0: Right, because cause somebody's gonna try, gonna try to kill. Us if there's not, yeah, one character's gonna try and kill another character at some point. Well, it no, happens.
2: in the gun belt, yeah. there's there's critters. Critters can kill you too. Right. You know, like people yeah. will have to make new characters.
0: So experience points is the big the big thing with this. You've got to mm. you've got to kind of figure out the system for earning, buying, awarding, and limiting experience points. Um. So a really great, a really a simple example was back in TGN, uh, you could earn. I think it was 8 experience points a month, something like that. And yeah. and you could like in one world by night, I think the number was 10, but they could only come from certain places. Like 5 of them could be attendance, 2 of them had to be travel points and 2 of them had to be awarded by a storyteller for role play or something like that. Like there was combinations of it. Um, some games uh, some games you can actually buy experience points yeah right this is common um, well
1: if if it's a for-profit thing it's not that uncommon and it is
0: particularly common in uh, uh, large like blockbuster larps for example uh, you can pay extra to to have a bigger sheet um, right. and then there's there's also according the, to the uh, kind of game but yes right there's also um so then, you also have to decide how do you award experience points, and that just means what are the things people can characters can do that mm-hmm. gets them. So like attendance, travel, uh, you know, character role play nods, things like that. Uh, and then I what are the limits?
2: To, in back in TGN, I used to give XP for canned goods when we were collecting. Right. You know, so like yeah, there's lots of.
1: Yeah, I think that's something you need to be really strong in your guidelines because a a consistent player complaint that I got was that this game gives out 10 XP a month. This game over here gives out six. I'm at a disadvantage for playing my home game Mm
2: -hmm. and I can't
1: afford to travel. Therefore, I will always be weaker than these people. And I think it's something you just need to think a lot about and decide what you want that to look like. that
0: was one of the flaws with with underground theater's experience point system was that, yeah, that it I, was it was very much just like you can get eight xp a month and for and if your storyteller wanted you to have them, you'd get them, and if you didn't, you didn't
2: even have to attend game
0: sometimes, right. some places,
2: well, that's what I'm saying. some some staff would just just max people out even if they didn't. Well, attend. It,
1: some games had the theory that everybody should receive the same amount of XP for attendance, or just every month, period.
0: Yeah, it was and like this participation trophy. They had trophy. one
1: really good argument in that if you have more than 100 players, or if you have more than 50 regular players and a relatively small staff, it makes bookkeeping way simpler. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't have to think about this. Everybody gets the same amount every month, and it's just done.
0: Yeah. So um, I can't actually make a decision about experience points because I don't know exactly how how many points it will cost to to purchase stuff.
1: You're yeah. not done
0: there. Well, I he's
2: not done. Already
1: got that figured out.
2: He's not done. LARP rules yeah. for the gumbel. belt. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's true. LARP rules are different.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, that, so the I'm other sorry. thing, the other connection to character rules then is like, is with experience points. How do you balance uh, new new characters versus old? characters and new players versus old players. Right. And so that comes about through things like uh like character creation points, like when a when a character dies, uh if you've been playing for a long time and your character dies, do you have to start completely over with the sheet or do you get some extra XP to start with because you've been loyal to the game for so many years that you've been playing or whatever. Um and connected with that is, like, how many characters can you have? In some some orgs, you can have any number of characters you want, and in other orgs, you can only have one character in the org, or you could have a primary and a secondary or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so those are decisions. Uh, personally, I like the idea of just one character at a time because I, I, just, I just don't think anyone, unless there's five games locally that you can go to every weekend, I just don't think you need well, multiple characters.
2: Okay. We're talking about the gun belt. Mm-hmm. You're going to be spending a crap ton of money on a costume.
1: I hope so. For for your,
2: ah. for your howler. Yeah. You don't, you know, no one's going to want to play a sorrel and a howler because that's a lot of money to drop on two different yeah. types of costumes.
0: So I think you get one character.
2: Yeah, well, I would do one character.
0: And then, you know, so you only have the one character, but then you also have to balance like the... I was just say you also have to make sure that whatever your XP system does, it's balancing so that your new players don't feel totally over outpowered by your old players, mm-hmm. but also so that your old players I don't, know. don't feel,
1: uh,
2: undervalued,
0: undervalued. Yeah. It's hard.
1: I think part of that solution is having a flatter system where that you, uh, all your really important, cool stuff you, you get immediately and then you get, uh, more and more, interesting niche powers or, or whatever as you progress you know what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. so like uh it in the tabletop game exalted all the stuff you need to feel like a super powerful exalted you have right out of the gate and everything you gain just makes you better at that and more interesting but you don't have to have them yeah they're just they just are cool stuff
0: well, I was always the unpopular guy who said that the, the problem with the, with Vampire Orgs and with World of Darkness Orgs in general with these characters that have been around for 10 years making it so that brand new players feel useless. Everybody's like, well, new players need to start with more XP and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, no, we need to start killing these old characters off.
1: And I know that I think me- having a graceful retirement is definitely
0: – It makes me unpopular when I say that. But like characters – if a character has been around for 10 years, it needs to go away.
2: I think – Instead of that, I think what we do is we, you have some kind of, um, cap on the sheet and that's, you know, when I'm just going to say, you know, when your character hits 70 XP or whatever that level, is. 15. Yeah, level 15, yeah level um, you become an NPC. Well, the Dungeons and Dragons does that
0: at level 20, right? Uh, Plagmire does it at
1: level ten.
2: I have never gotten a character that high before. Right. (laughs) Neither have I. So, so I have no idea. I
1: really, werewolf is the absolute best system for this because there's a built-in graduation system. You go up so far, and then you have to do something that's either so dangerous you die, or you are no longer a PC. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a great system.
0: Yeah. Uh, And then the other the other thing is is player rewards like uh, prestige points in the MES, which these are like out of character points that give you stuff. Um,
1: I I used to play in a game where we called them goblin.
0: (laughs) I traditionally dislike them because, so as a player, you, not your character, you earn these points by making donations to to your game or to charity. Like maybe you bring soda. Uh, You can Uh, you can, if you bought a prop for the game, they might give you one. If you, uh, you could do charity work. If you mow the lawn at the local boys and girls club or whatever like that. Um, and as you, whatever
2: your game has set up to enable you to get those.
0: Yeah. And now see, like in things like MES, uh, you level up yourself as a player, (laughs) Uh, with these prestige points, and and at certain levels you get benefits in the org, right? Like uh, right. I don't know what it's, the levels are, but there's a point where like if you reach a certain if you reach level ten, then every time you make a new character, your new character starts with fifty extra XP or something. And I think I, they've
1: adjusted some of that stuff yeah. in the last few years, um, but it used to be pretty draconic. Yeah, I got if you got to a certain level, it gave you access to rare and unusual stuff a lot easier. Right. Uh, it it enabled your or like Vampire, it enabled where you started out on the generation chart, which is a huge deal. Yep. Uh, and Werewolf, you could start out as a much, much more higher rank Werewolf. There, there was yes. a- levels that made it automatic, so you walked right into the game like that, mm, and a ton more XP.
0: The thing that I don't like about about the prestige point system is that it, it there's never a way for it to go away. Right. You okay. only you only go up, or you used to only be able to go up, and so for me. I like it when it's more like in a mush where Whereas, they're like
2: cookies. Yeah. So in a mush, you can, o- the, not so much the staff, but the players award each other cookies at, after a scene, Hey, good, good scene, Jason, I'm going to plus cookie you. And then you get a cookie and you get, you know, eventually you, you look at your sheet and you're like, Oh, look, I have 75 cookies and a lot of games will have a chart where you can spend those cookies on things.
1: Is and, it mostly XP or are there other stuff too? No,
2: it's not actually. Usually, it's not XP. It's like the ability to play a rare and unusual. The, okay. Um, I know, like in A and W, you—I don't remember what the number is—but you spend your your cookies and you get a blue potion. It's the and only. And the blue
1: potion. And the blue potion is he... is magic. Okay. So cool. if you
2: if you chug the blue potion in a scene. You, something magical happens. I've like seen this. other
0: games where, if you where you could cash cookies in for uh, personal plots.
2: Yeah,
1: right. I'm not That's, opposed to that. Yeah. Uh, back when I was playing Boffer LARPs, the the biggest things people do is you could use it to buy more XP. Uh, mm-hmm. Though there were limits, of course. Uh, you could get it. You could say, "Hey, I'd like access to this in-game thing," and they'll be like, "Well, okay, X number of brownie, X number of goblin, whatever. You you can do it." Uh, like sort of similar to rare and unusual. And sometimes when people were starting a new character, they would allow them to start with more XP based on having spent so many of these points. Um, Though the biggest thing that a lot of us used them for was if I had a certain number of them, I could cash them in to go to the next game for half price.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing is for me, like I don't like in MES where, where prestige points since they stay, they kind of become a gatekeeping
1: Yes, elements. that's a problem.
0: And I prefer where it's more like an economy, so, where you can yeah. cash them in. And so, so like, yeah, if you play for if you play that character for five years straight, then maybe you can, you know, you've earned a bunch of prestige and you can cash it in so that your next character starts with a little more experience points on it. But then if that character dies in a month and you're st- you're out of prestige points, then your next character starts at level one. You know what I mean? Like, but, I, it's gotta it's gotta be so an economy. Is
2: that what you want to do for the gun belt? If
0: there if there are player rewards like that at all, yeah
2: well we're building them now what do you want to do? Um,
0: what, do what do you want to do? so uh, a lot of a lot of people really like prestige points mm-hmm. and a lot and I happen to be one of the people that like I dislike them. I don't like them at all.
1: I will say that I don't mind ones that you can spend. I think it's problematic if you can use real money to get them. Uh, not like as in, because most places don't let you just give them a hundred bucks and you get bonus points. What happens is they say, if you will donate this much to your local charity of canned goods or whatever, then you will get bonus points. Right. Right. But then if I don't have any disposable income, then I can't do that. So I don't get those. And while I can donate time, maybe, or uh, I, I've read a lot about how people who are, in any way disabled or disadvantaged that it means that they can never get those points and it makes it feel like they're playing a different game than everybody else. So I think they're, they can be very problematic.
2: Well, maybe you only allow so many uh, cookies to be, go to a person per month, let's say, and you give them, here's the 20 ways you can earn cookies every month.
0: But right. you cannot and, earn more than five. But you
2: cannot earn more than five, and make sure that half of those are things you know people can do on their computer. People can yeah. do you know like or they, clean up sites. Right, right but I'm saying stuff that they can do like, like, at game. But I also, because I mean, but that's not fair to people. That's true. That's not necessarily true. Necessarily, yeah, I get all, it. You know, so like, just make sure that some of that some of the stuff is is you know bring pop to game. Well, if you don't have money, you can't do that. But if you do, you can. But you know, you can also, um, you know, help us update something on our website, or you know, what, whatever to our
1: wiki. Yeah,
2: our wiki or whatever it is. You know, like give them all make just make sure that that list is has things that are five things that are accessible
1: to everyone.
0: I like it. Ultimately, my dilemma is it all just feels gatekeepery. You know, I'm not opposed to not having them at all. I I just don't. That was one of the
1: things that drew me to UT is I didn't have to deal with it.
0: Yeah, I, I don't like it. I feel like it's a whole other mechanic I have to keep track of. And it's out of character.
2: I like encouraging people to be good. Sure. To do good. You know, like that's that's the bonus for me that, you know what, if I can give someone a cookie. On their sheet as a storyteller, if I can give, or I'm sorry, a tailspinner as a tailspinner, if I can give someone a cookie on their sheet, and I know that they went out and did something good, if we can, you know, we encourage people to do good things. That that should always as as tailspinners as people running games that should be one of our. I know people always you know people like to argue with me, but they're wrong. That (laughs) we are we are also as leaders of the game, we are helping shape our players into being better people. And that is one of the ways. You're we by do it.
1: default a leader in your community if you're mm-hmm. running a game.
2: Absolutely. And, what and if I, you
1: just give them a literal gold star? Like put it on their sheet. So, so and they're I, like, What can I do with this? And you're like, nothing. But no, it's pretty. So so uh, I uh. I said that.
2: So I said this to Ryan earlier. I was like, "What if instead of being able to spend the prestige points, you know, at at fifty, at fifty cookies, you get yeah. a you get a you're a good person badge?
1: <laughs> you know? you, it's kind of like one of those MMOs where you get a custom pet or like I set, well, you well, get a hat. No,
2: it's it's like on my Twitch channel.
1: It's the badges that
2: appear next to people's names. And you know what? There are people that are like, oh, my God, I've got to get the next badge. I need this complete. I need to have more badges than so-and-so.
1: Okay. You know, and that's – I I like that pretty good. Uh, I think we need to move on because it is – we're running really long. Yeah. So uh – so let's talk about
0: storytelling. So now, now we're kind of talking about like the the rules and way storytelling would work in the org, right? So organiz- on an right. organizational level, what kind of org- oversight does plot have? Are there national storytellers? Are there like uh, you know in in werewolf there would be like tribal narrators, or if it was vampire it would be like uh, um, clan narrators or whatever. Clan uh, narrators. In, in in something like the so gun in your belt, your game you might have a
1: narrator, or
0: I might have a species Go ahead. narrator. You know, uh, or or I might have. It might make more sense to have like someone who coordinates uh, Levicore, someone who coordinates different organizations that are found in the game. It would probably be more likely to have an organizational, yeah, narrator. Um, but is there national? Is okay. there national so plot? In your, it, I mean, you kind of have to start there. Is there national plot? Because if there's no national plot, if there's no crossover I, plot, you don't
1: need a national. Well, I think
2: Levicore is national plot, right? I mean, you know, that's, it's everywhere.
1: As a person who's been one, I'm going to say, and I know y'all have both basically done it too. I think you'd need one even if you don't have national plot because there'll always be plots that local games run that interact with each other. Sort of bleed And over you need somebody game. to coordinate that. Sure. Maybe. But I will also say that while we were in UT, the original plan was not to really run lots of national plots and people lost their minds. <laughs> they demanded national plot. So if people are in an org that covers multiple games, they're going to want plot that covers multiple games.
2: Maybe you have, instead of having a national storyteller, maybe you have a small, maybe you have like three people. (sighs) And have them like a committee almost. This is your committee of national storytellers. And then they can divvy up plot however they want. You know, hi, I, I deal with all the LevaCor. Hi, right. I deal with the birdies or whatever. They can divvy it up how they want, but they work together as a team. And that way you don't have one person who is the national storyteller. You know, like it's it's more of a, a group effort. Which I think actually like would have helped Jason a lot when he was the national storyteller. Yeah, if you had had two other people to bounce ideas off of that were equal to you,
1: equal to me, how uh-huh. dare you?
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, Ryan. <laughs> how I dare, dare you? <laughs> dare.
0: <laughs> so let so uh, all right. So then, to talk about genre for a minute, right? Like genre packets. Uh, I don't know that, that the gun belt needs genre What does that packets. look like? So, in a, again, this would be like uh, in, in some of the werewolf and or vampire orgs, like there were genre packets where it was basically like uh, a collection of information about uh, the Fianna tribe of werewolves. And so anyone playing a Fiana could go look at that. And so if they didn't have the Fianna tribe book or whatever, it would contain all the information about the Fiana. Uh, that was going on in the org so that they could quickly be brought up to speed to play a character. Like, I don't see the gumbelt needing that. It's very because localized. Everyone
2: is going to go buy the gumbelt book when it comes out. <laughs> so we won't have to worry about that.
1: Um, well, and it's going to have all the that stuff built into it. Yeah. Yeah. That they're going to need. But if this was another
0: org, like this would also be the time when you would talk about like boundaries for for genre and canon. So like in like in the world of darkness, this would the conversation would be which books does your does the org consider Recognize. consider as being being uh, in game and not uh, things like that. Um, and it also is is the time when you would talk about a little bit who polices genre. You know, (laughs) because unfortunately, at the end of the day, in an org with multiple games, there has to be someone who is the 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 final call.
1: Right. Right. This is how this game is supposed to feel. If it doesn't feel like this, then you're actually running a different game. And that's fine. But maybe it's not appropriate to be in the organization. And
2: I feel like that
0: would be the president and the the group of national storytellers.
1: Okay.
2: See, to me, I would even say not the president. I know that you technically would be the president no, here, th- so that would make sense. But, like, I would think that leave the in game stuff with the national storytellers and leave all of the other stuff to your board. There you go.
1: That way they don't have to deal with each other's BS. Mm-hmm. And then, what about online play? One of the dilemmas. I like online play.
0: One of the problems with Why online play, though, think- is 24 7 play is tiring and burns players and storytellers yes. out.
2: I think you need to limit times and by by that I mean um because we, we had this for when we were running that like after a LARP there was a twelve hour period where there was no play at all so people could go home and sleep. Right. And not get bombarded in the morning yeah. um with craziness. I think that's important. And and I think that um you know, i you can't tell people you can't have personal role play outside of this time you, you, they, can't, right. yeah. you can't police that but
1: one of the one of the, the to be one, fair that is a rule in uh, dystopia rising
0: yeah but one of the problems with with online play though is because it happens at twenty four hours a day seven days a week it moves it moves as fast as the people typing move it right and the problem with that is if i have a job where i'm literally in front of my computer on facebook all day long i can constantly be reacting or posting or doing role playing and interacting and moving the plot along but if the person that i'm plotting against has a day job where they are a doctor and can't be on the the their you know can't be on the internet until they are off work right they lose you know 8 hours of of progress in the plot. And that is unfair. Like there's an element of like, if it's a LARP, then technically it's live action. And so by definition, it should be being, you know, it should only be really being played when it's scheduled. But I also know that's not the world we live in. It's not realistic.
1: I I think that I I completely understand where you're coming from. I also will say that many of the best scenes I've been in have been run over chat or facebook or something like that i, I agree it i'm allowed I'm, me to interact with people i can't normally interact
0: with where i'm trying to get with this i thought i guess is just this idea that um some people this is a hobby for and they only want to play from 7 p.m until midnight you know every other week and they shouldn't be penalized and for that they should not be penalized because other players want to play 24 hours a day seven days
2: a week okay. well yeah but you can't be like you can't do anything because Bob doesn't want to do anything else in the bare minimum. I agree. Like, you know, like, you know, you want to encourage your play If you've got a player who's, you know, making an amazing costume, I'm not going to tell her, no, you can't wear that amazing costume because this other player didn't, spe- you know, didn't want to have wear a costume.
1: Right. I, I, I think that you just have to find a happy medium in which you... Obviously, you have to moderate the, whatever this channel is, whatever you use. good news is that the gun belt doesn't have internet. I, it's got to. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You have to have online play. It's a LARP, damn it. I'm,
0: I'm not saying it can't have online play. I'm saying, though, there will be things like travel times and stuff like that that we'll have to figure out.
1: Okay. So you'll have some sort of built-in cushion. You can only post two or three times a day maybe or something.
0: I don't know what it looks like, but we'd have to figure it out.
2: Well, okay. But,
1: okay. So limits.
0: Um, and then the the other thing to storytelling is to talk about then what happens locally with sto- with your you know local storyteller. How much independence do they have to run whatever they want? Uh, mm-hmm. In other words, does the ownership of the story go upward or downward or both directions? Uh, and by upward or downward, I mean like up to the upper management, like the board, or.
1: Does that make sense? Like underground- No, I understand what you're trying to say. I, I think what you're trying to say is does plot or originate and is run by local games first, or is it coming from on high down? Correct? And where does the ownership lie? Okay. So if I start a game, am I – if I start a plot and I'm a local storyteller, am I in charge of it even if it begins affecting other games?
0: Right. Or is there a point at which you have to hand it off?
1: Right. I like it. I think you have to – that's why you have to go back to having a – I believe you have to have somebody or a committee that's over those interactions. Yeah. That after something crosses into other games, that they take some level of ownership. Yeah. Um,
0: And the same thing is true with characters. Like where is the character oversight? Where does that happen? Does that happen at the local level or the org level? So like in – like One World by Night and Minds Eye Society have something that runs – it's kind of uh, up the middle. You know, like most characters are managed and overseen by local storytellers, but there are certain categories of characters like rare and unusual characters where uh, approvals and things like that for them are actually handled by upper levels of of administration. Uh, right. And then like on, in the Gru Nation, uh, it's all handled local. You know, un- underground theater was was for the most part all handled local. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, with the gun belt, again, because we don't really have rare and unusual creatures, I feel like there's very little that, uh, that a local storyteller could approve that would be broken.
2: (laughs) I mean, it's just not that kind of game. The only thing would be like, you know, I'm the granddaughter of Levacor, you know, or something like that. But
0: yeah. So, um, so I feel like approvals and all that could be handled, you know, local. Uh, the other thing is like experience is actual sheet character sheet monitoring. Um, you know, every org up until underground theater sheets were controlled by the local storytelling staff, right? Like the storytelling staff would keep the database and they would approve or not approve experience point expenditures and all of those things and track that and would print them out for players when they showed up at game. Uh, underground theater flipped it and kind of made the player in charge of their own sheet by creating a database that was run by the org as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, as a storyteller, it created endless frustration because I had, I didn't know what my players had on their sheets, let alone what, what visitors had. It was very difficult and confusing. Um,
1: so I you would, could pull it up, but it wasn't as simple as when you no. used to have control of the whole database. Right.
0: And, and there wasn't really a clear approval system for approving expenditures, um, so I would want to, I would want something that was more like grapevine, which is the old school world of darkness.
2: That just means we have to create it. Yeah.
0: Whatever, we can do that. Whatever that looks like. Yeah. I'll just yeah. Write that obviously off. that's
1: easy. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. But I would want, I would want characters to be tracked locally by their story Like I would want the storytellers to be in charge of their, the character sheets in their game. Yes. So, uh, and then we'd also have to figure out what reporting looks like because at some point in a lot of a lot of these big words like games are required to submit a, this is what's going on in my game report every month or every mm-hmm. six months or whatever. And those things never get filled out and they suck and they're hard to do and they're annoying. And when you submit them, nobody really reads them. Uh, I I would prefer in the gun belt org for reporting to be a little more like, uh, you know, at some point every three months, the president or the storyteller national storyteller talks to you know every local storyteller like once every three months to just be like hey how are things going what's up like a check-in like I my feel- uh, my
1: idea that i would have done is every month to three months whatever you pick uh, you have a zoom call with like five games yeah and then you as a group talk about what's going on in your five games maybe it's- and then you just Do a rolling thing until I covered everybody and then start over again. And then, but change the group, change the five groups.
2: Yeah. Every five
1: and it just rotates. Maybe
2: you you do that by region. That way, regionally. That way, you know, if you got two games that are next to each other that are having problems they can talk it out. At they're at least meeting. talking. Yeah. They're talking or explaining to, your, or when, or like when the one storyteller goes, and that's why I did this. The other stare star, storyteller can be like, Oh, I didn't know that. I
0: thought you were just an asshole.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so like nip, nip, uh, you know, like nip problems in the bud by making them be friends. Be friends.
1: Yeah. yeah. And that's I think funny. having a, uh, somewhat, Uh, neutral party there like a national storyteller will help facilitate that Mm -hmm. if you had the the three person committee each person would handle five different ones and then you would switch right
2: and just make sure that that storyteller the national storyteller was not in charge of wherever their character is based out of
0: right
1: yeah there's Plenty of stuff like that you'd have to deal with. Yeah. I
0: know as a as a storyteller, like even just in underground theater, like I would have been really annoyed if once every three months I had to spend two hours on a Zoom call with the National ST and a bunch of other STs. But at the same time, I also would go, but it's two hours every three months. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? Right.
1: Like it- well, your other option is turn in a bunch of reports that I pretend to read.
0: Right. Right. And guess what? It if you have the right person running those meetings, it's not bad. And facilitating it in a proper way, like it it really wouldn't be that bad. So
1: No. You can keep it relatively tight. What's been going on? What issues have you been having? What's something cool you need to tell me?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh and then from there like we just make make the org awesome. Like cuz that's yeah. everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's everything.
0: <laughs> Ta-da! Alright. Alright, let's go to Game Rap. So that's our first
1: three hour episode.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Game Rap. That was a well, lot. That was a lot. That was a mouthful. That was a lot. So the here's the <laughs> Here's the frustrating thing about this is I feel like it was two hours of really good stuff that really only applies to like two people in the whole world. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't. You know what? Maybe on the flip side, maybe there are some people who are kind of wondering why orgs work the way they work, and maybe that was insightful. I hope so. Or we lost half our listenership.
2: Or in a year when we're ready to actually do the gun belt larp. Yeah, there we go. Who knows?
0: Who knows? Woo. All right. Well, uh, because
2: this was a special extra long
0: episode, uh, Carrie, you get two experience points that for attendance. Against the rules of this org. You're allowed to bounce. Yeah. You're allowed to bounce one.
2: I would like to bounce this to Can I think about it? Will you come back to me? Sure. Uh, Jason,
0: you get two experience points for attendance.
1: Right. I'm going to bounce both of them on to Ryan Galliato for having matching ties and uh, masks. Oh, mm, that's, that's good. That that's is good. good. Yeah.
2: Um, I'm going to bounce mine to Josh Heath because I didn't read the book I was supposed to read, so I'm not going to be able to do the podcast. Oh, part. no.
1: <laughs> what, you know what? He also deserves one for – didn't he just go platinum in <laughs> uh, – it's not the DM's guild. It's the underground Story theater one, which not storyteller's the storytellers guild. world of darkness
2: Storyteller storytellers Vault. guild. Yes. Oh, yeah.
0: Which sounds yeah, pretty dear awesome. Dear
2: Lord, you two.
0: I'm giving an experience point to Jason's dog.
1: That's not my dog.
2: Well, whatever dog they, that is, they have participated. They in get a point for podcast attendance. For they
1: have been here a lot of the time. That there he goes. That's Dad's dog. Well, he's not stopping. He's not going to stop. Good I've times. i tried everything. <sighs> everything. Everything. <laughs> All right. Join us next week
0: when we don't have a topic because we're not going to be here. Until next time, uh, I'm Ryan the Curmudgeon. Carrie the Legend was here. And Jason the Favorite was here. Uh, remember, Woo. the only way to win at a role-playing game is to have fun.
1: Yay. The only way to win is to have fun with my friends.